Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. One day, a German physicist was experimenting with cathode rays. After a while, he noticed light hitting a piece of cardboard across the room. There was a thick screen between the cathode emitter and the cardboard, and there was no light burning on the other side of the room. He realized particles of energy must be passing through the screen. After a few more experiments, he found out that he could create images, like photos, with cathode radiation. He had discovered the X-ray completely by accident. In 1907, another scientist named Leo Bakeland was looking for a cheaper insulation for electrical wires. And in the process, he created the world's first synthetic plastic. He called it Bakelite. Bakelite became a big hit. It's been used to make everything from telephones to airplane propellers. In fact, Bakelite is still used today, in billiard balls. A pharmacist named John Pemberton also ran a few lab experiments. He was looking for a way to cure headaches. And he mixed up a concoction of cocoa leaves and cola nuts. Later on, his lab assistant accidentally added carbonated water, and Coca-Cola was born. Now that's what I call a happy accident. Post-it notes. Play-Doh. Microwave ovens. Super glue. Teflon. Velcro. Penicillin. The slinky. Even the heart pacemaker were all accidental discoveries. But not all accidents turn out so well. Most are inconvenient at best and tragic at worst. Everybody gets lucky from time to time, but chance is not a strategy. When someone asked researcher Sarah Seeger the best way to make discoveries, she said, commit time and energy to find out if your idea works. A biomedical engineer named Chris Tumazu was asked the same question. He outlined a four-step process beginning with this. Think of a solution and then work backwards. That's great advice. More often we think of a solution than keep doing what we've always done. What do you want to accomplish? What results are you going for in your organization, your family, your personal life? Have you created an intentional strategy to produce that outcome? Or are you relying on luck? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work Succeed at life and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we'll show you exactly how to get the results you're looking for by creating a process designed to produce it. As leaders, we're all responsible for getting results, yet it seems like we're constantly reinventing the wheel, trying to solve the same old problems. But if there's one thing we're known for here at Michael Hyatt & Company, it's mastering the art of process automation. And today, we'll show you how to design a process that's virtually guaranteed to deliver the results you've been looking for. You can finally get off the hamster wheel of repetitive tasks and create a winning process for every responsibility in your portfolio. Before we get to today's episode, can I ask you a favor? If you're enjoying Lead to Win, would you please leave a review of the podcast? We made it super easy to do. Just go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. It'll only take two to three minutes, and it really helps us to keep this podcast visible so that other leaders like you can find it. Thanks so much. Before we get into the steps for engineering success, which I'm really excited about 
talking about with you today. I want to clarify something. Okay. So we're really talking about any situation where a leader is dealing with a problem that's a result of a bad process, but leaders deal with all kinds of problems that result from other things too. Yeah, that's right. And I think this is a helpful disclaimer. You may be a leader who's frustrated with results and maybe you've tried a number of solutions. Yeah. Maybe you're getting pressure from upstream like your boss or maybe your corporate board. Yep. But there could be a number of root causes for the results that you're getting. It's not always about a business process that's delivering those results. Mm -hmm. For example, it could be personnel, you know, an underperforming manager. You might have to fire somebody or give remedial training. Or maybe a product. You've got a poorly designed or low-quality product on your hands. I love what Ogilvy of Ogilvy & Mather used to say, great marketing only makes a bad product fail faster. (laughs) So if you got a product problem, you got a product problem, and that's got to be addressed. Or it could be marketing or sales, not delivering the results they should, or maybe using a poor methodology. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need a new marketing strategy or process. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You've got a standard way of doing things, and it simply doesn't work. It's right. delivering a predictable result. It's just not the it's result not you the want. It's not the one you want, right. If you don't like the cake, change the recipe. Yeah. So I think what we're really saying here is that before you start to solve a problem, you need a diagnostic process um, to make sure you're solving the right problem. Because what you don't want to do is put your effort after the wrong issue, and then you still have the problem at the end. So, That's right. So just take a minute before you you know kind of dig into this process question to ask, what kind of problem do I have? And then you can proceed from there. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that you come to the conclusion that it's a process problem, or you suspect that it might be a, right. a process problem. Here's the thing to realize. You do have a process. Right. You know, even the people that say, like my grandmother used to say this, when we loved her chocolate cake with the caramel frosting, you know, give us the recipe. She said, I don't have a recipe. Well, the truth is she had a recipe. It just wasn't documented. Right. Right. And so everybody has a recipe. It's just not working. Or as Ian Cron says, you're getting the pizza you ordered. (laughs) I love that. I like that. And I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) So if you want a different outcome, you got to figure out a different process. Right. I think the most natural places where you're going to have a process problem in your business are around production. So for in our business, that would be content production, but it could be manufacturing, something like that. Scheduling. Mm -hmm. So if you have um, an executive assistant and you find that you're constantly in a situation where you're double booked or you don't have drive time or things like that. That's or even overwhelmed. Or overwhelmed. That may be the result of a bad process. Operational management, uh, that's definitely a place where processes are really important. Financial management, for sure, if you're constantly running out of cash, uh, maybe you're not <laughs> managing that according to a process in such a way that you're able to look at things like, what are my bank balances? And what do I have coming up? And how am I anticipating expenses? Things like that that could be really critical. Before you get off that one, I, yeah. think, that, I think that is one that that managers and leaders often jump to some other problem other than process. Right. But the process, it may not be able to fix your current situation, Right. but it can definitely keep you out of trouble as you move forward. Mm -hmm. So look at that as a process. Absolutely. So we're really talking about how to design a process that can deliver stellar results um, in these kind of situations. So by the way, we're in our new office today. I know I love this. This, this is, is really one of exciting. my favorite offices that I've ever been in. And it's a it's a first for our team right. because we've been completely remote, all 35 or 36 of us, but now we've got a home. And what's cool about the office is that we refer to it as a co-working space. Right. Right? So no one is required to work here, but everyone is invited. Mm-hmm. And we've tried to make it cool enough that people are going to want to work here, 
But, you know, obviously if they want to work at home and be more focused, they can do that too. And by the way, it's really cool. It's really cool. Did <laughs> you mention a, that? Uh, yeah. It's in a historic building that we renovated and it just has almost like a boutique hotel kind of vibe to it. It's really fun. Uh, we may even do an episode on it in the future, but if you're listening and you just notice that maybe it sounds like we're in a different space, it's because we are. Do you know my favorite part about it? What? Is we're sitting at our conference table yeah. and I'm sitting right across the table from you like we're having a cup of coffee together because we are. Because we are. And we're just talking. It's great. All right, Dad. So today we have three steps to engineering success. What's the first one? First one is to define the outcome. Hmm. And, you know, before you can get anywhere, you got to be clear on where you're going. You know, you don't just get in your car and head out on a vacation. You define where you're going, right? (laughs) You probably rented a property there, but you know what it looks like. You've got to do what Stephen Covey says begin with the end in mind, or as we often say here at Michael Hyatt and Company, define the win. But too often we start with this vague idea and then we kind of end up wandering around or we create this unbelievable, unmanageable process right? because we don't really understand what it is we're trying to produce. And obviously we want to use the, the most effective, most efficient means for defining uh, the process. So that begins by defining it. Well, I think this shows up a lot in customer experience for people. You know, it does. if you have clients or customers, very often you have somebody that's unhappy, or maybe a lot of people that are unhappy, and you want to fix that problem. Um, you want to deliver a great outcome to them, but really, what you need in order to do that, time and time again, is a very well-defined outcome that you're trying to create. How do you want them to feel? What's it going to look like? All those kinds of things, and then engineer the process backwards with steps that can just be repeated over and over again. Yeah, and this can work in a lot of different areas, and it works particularly well when you're trying to create a product. Mm-hmm. But I think about when I wrote my book, Platform Get Noticed in a Noisy World, I engineered the success of the book. Mm-hmm. So I said, for example, if I want to get this on the New York Times bestseller list, which I did, mm-hmm. and it did get on the list, what would have to be true? And that's a great question to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. What would have to be true? And so I started thinking about, okay, I've got endorsements from all these amazing people, including Seth Godin, which I was able to get his endorsement. So I reverse engineered the process. First of all, it would have to be a well-written book. You know, that kind of goes without saying. So I'm defining what it looks like when it's completed. Mm -hmm. Or another example, when we engineered the success of the Full Focus Planner, we said, what would it take to create a great analog planner, paper planner, that people would actually use? What would have to be true? Mm -hmm. And so we defined the win before we got involved in the process. Otherwise, so oftentimes you end up with a Frankenstein of a product where people are just, you know, cobbling things on willy-nilly without any ultimate design. Or a really bloated process that's way overkill and more than you need, and therefore doesn't get consistently applied, which is problematic. By the way, we do have a tool for this, something we use in our coaching program, which we call a project vision caster, Mm -hmm. which forces people to get crystal clear on the outcome at the very beginning. It asks that question, what's true or what does it look like when it's finished? And then it kind of reverse engineers it. But it's a way for leaders and for managers to get clear before they delegate something or before they embark upon this journey to create an outcome. Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about that tool is that you talk as though the outcome were already a present reality, which I think is critical for envisioning what the win's going to be. Yeah, I talked a little bit about this also in the first section of Platform Get Noticed in a Noisy World, Mm -hmm. where I talked about, wow, how do you create wow experiences? And I give the example in there about us when I was in my uh, in the publishing business in our company, we wanted to renovate our lobby. Mm-hmm. And so rather than just renovating it, I said, wait a second, what's the outcome we want people to experience? What do we want people to experience 
when they either approach this lobby or they're sitting in this lobby, and we stated it all as if we were describing it as though it were complete. Mm -hmm. So in the present tense, really important. I love that. So step one is to define the outcome, or as we like to say, to define the win. And it's critical to start with that end in mind. But what's step two? So step two is to engineer the process. Mm -hmm. So once we've got the win defined or the outcome defined, now we can roll up our sleeves and get to work. And this really is the secret sauce. Start at the end and then work backward. And it's really a lot simpler than it sounds. And I just want to give you kind of three steps or three sub-steps under this main point. First, identify what you're currently doing. And it's a little bit like my grandma's cake. Mm -hmm. You've already got a process in place. You've already got a recipe, but you've determined that you don't like the cake. Right. You don't like the outcome that you're producing. But is it leading to the result? That's what you've got to ask yourself the question. Okay, we got a process. Could be a hiring process. Could be a manufacturing process, scheduling process. Right. All the things you mentioned. But is it giving you a predictable result and a result that you want? It's kind of like, you know, if you go to Chick-fil-A, for example, when you go to Chick-fil-A, you know that you are going to get in and out of that line faster than any other fast food restaurant you could possibly go to. Why? Because they have an amazing process that they follow to a T that is honed to perfection. And they're able to move more people than you could possibly possibly imagine through that line. In fact, somebody told us at the Chick-fil-A not far from us, they move 200 people an hour through their line. Wow. I mean, just think about that for a second. The only way that that's possible is that they have identified every single step that it takes to get someone in and out including overcoming all the obstacles that their competitors are facing. And then they've trained their team to execute against that process without fail. Well, and and they use this everywhere. Right. It's not just like that process is engineered. I mean, the reason you can go there and get a chicken sandwich and it tastes the same in San Diego as it does right. in Nashville. Which they're making in the back. It's not like all right. frozen. I mean, they have, so they have they're to make making it. They're making it, but it tastes the exact yep. same no matter where you buy it. And by the way, I should mention another resource, a book for people to read, which is The E-Myth revisited. And E-Myth stands for the entrepreneurial myth. But that book by Michael Gerber is a classic, one of the top 10 best business books I've ever read. And it's all about this this, uh, topic of process engineering. Yep. It kind of reminds me of that quote by W. Edwards Deming. He designed the sampling techniques that are still used by the Census Bureau today. And he said, if you can't describe what you're doing as a process, you don't know what you're doing. Just kind of like your your example of your grandmother's cake, you know, like all the grandmothers of the world, you know, they, they can't describe what they're doing necessarily because, and therefore they can't document it. But if somebody were able to come in and pay attention to all the steps, it probably could be documented and therefore repeated. Well, and in fact, that's exactly what happened because what my mom did was she went to my grandma and said, of course you have a recipe right? <laughs> and I'm going to document it. And she wrote it down on a, on a note card, which I have by the way. And so that Gail can duplicate that, that cake anytime she wants to, you girls can duplicate it anytime right. you want. Why? Because we documented it and now we have a process. I secretly think that that's a strategy of grandmothers to keep the recipe secret and to, to make it special. <laughs> it's, like, it's like magicians, right? They're not right. going to tell you how They're they do the tricks because exactly. then the magic's gone. Okay, so first, identify what you're currently doing. Second, identify what's not working. Right. So you got to ask yourself the question, what would have to happen in order to produce the result we want? And the goal here is to identify the major actions, the resources you're going to need. Again, I think the recipe is a perfect metaphor. Right. You want to be able to hand it to somebody who doesn't know anything about the process. 
and for them to be able to follow it just by getting your recipe and they get the result you get. Right. So for example, back to the Chick-fil-A analogy, you know, maybe there's some part of the process that you or I would look at if that were our recipe and think it's not important enough to write down. Right. You know, like maybe you have to cook it for exactly 35 seconds and not 32 or 37 or it gets rubbery or undercooked. Yeah. You know, but if you just said cook it until it's done and you weren't specific enough then what what is done is going to depend on who's making it. And that's exactly what you don't want to have happen. You want to have a foolproof process that can be done by anyone. Right. So. And, and one of the things I would say about that too is if you're getting variable results, yes. there's some aspect of the recipe that you haven't yet decoded. Like standardized. Documented. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So again, just this sub-process here, identify what you're currently doing, identify what's not working, and then third, design a process to produce the result you want. And this is where you put it all together and literally, like a script or like a program, which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. And once you punch the button to go, right. then the process starts and you get the same result every single time. Mm -hmm. Another really good tip on this is after you have... Um documented your process, it's very helpful to not only have people test it, which you absolutely need to do, but have people review it. Have somebody without your context and your own brain look at it and say, does this make sense if I left anything out? You know, because very often what you'll find is that the person that you're trying to hand it off to to replicate will not understand some part of it. Right. You'll just, you'll, you'll have the curse of knowledge yourself and you'll leave things out that you assume everyone knows. And in fact, they don't. And so you need somebody outside of yourself to evaluate it. So another example from the company is that when we design a sales page and we're about to you know, launch a campaign or launch a new product, we have lots of people beat that sales page to death, run through the buying process and make sure that there aren't any problems right. so that again, the customer has a consistent experience. Yes. Because we don't want for them to have a, a, a different experience. We want them to have the same experience every time they go through it, no matter where they are in the world. And so right. we have to test that. Absolutely. Kind of back to that Chick-fil-A example, you've got to run it through a lot of people to make sure that it works. Otherwise, if there are points of friction, your customers are they're going to experience it and they're going to be frustrated. Yes, they are. So a couple places where uh, process improvement could be really helpful. If you find that you're chronically late with product launches, you know, you're working till three in the morning the night before. We certainly used to do that, you know, several years ago. And we were like, man, this isn't working. We need some kind of a better process. Uh, if you have bottlenecks in your inventory or your production, again, something that we have struggled with in the past. Which, by the way, with the full focus planner, right. you know, that was challenging to get that process identified and fine-tuned right. so that we could produce a predictable result. And thankfully, our customers were patient with us, and uh, we were able to get it right. You know, by the way, just as a pause here, it's important to remember this is an iterative process. Totally. The, the process of creating a process is iterative. You're probably not going to get it 100% right the first time, and that's not even the goal. The goal is to be in a place of refining and making it better. And if you hold yourself to a standard of you know total perfection, you'll just throw in the towel. And you'll think, oh, yeah. that process stuff doesn't work. Well, and, and just you can end up slavishly addicted to the process when it's not producing the result. I'll tell you an right. example. So I, I just, I got this one from Gail this morning. So she was telling me how she was coming through TSA on her way back from Denver two days ago. And she had some part of her facial stuff, some liquid that was like, I don't know, twice as much as they legally allowed. Oh, the little three ounce things. Yeah. yeah. So she could only have an ounce and a half. So the TSA agent said, well, you can go buy a container at that store over there and pour half of it in one container and leave half of it in the other container. <laughs> and I'm, saying, I'm thinking to myself, okay, what's stupid about this? It's the same amount of liquid. 
You know, it's crazy, but that's where they're so addicted to the process right. that they forget the result. I mean, the whole point is you want to keep people from building bombs, I, you know, I assume. Right. And the so what liquid, do we need to do to do that? <laughs> yeah, what do we need to do that? And putting the stuff in another bottle yeah. is probably not the answer. Absolutely. I have seen this happen so often where, you know, people are committed to the process that they so much so that they forget the outcome completely and you can't get them off that process. I know. You know, it's it's like you have to reorient people sometimes as and in fact, this is a great thing to do when you're setting this up with your team. So if you're going to go introduce a new process, you know, I would always say this process is beta. Yes. <laughs> it will change. We will iterate. So don't get too married to it and be prepared to give feedback because it's probably not going to work 100% and we don't want it to be any more cumbersome than it absolutely has to be to produce the result. Yeah, I think it's setting up the mindset uh, of that very thing. Everything is beta. Love that. I have great news to share with you. Soon we'll be releasing version 3.0 of our best-selling product, the Full Focus Planner. This version comes with updated daily pages, weekly reviews, calendars, and so much more. So if you've been hearing great things about the Full Focus Planner and have been thinking about getting one of your own, now is the perfect time. But just in case you don't know what it is, the Full Focus Planner is a physical planner to help you distill your big annual goals into daily actions. Some of the best features include our daily big three, which helps prioritize your high leverage items for a day and our weekly review to help you plan your week and beat the overwhelm. The planner also follows a 90 day achievement cycle. This helps break up your big annual goals into quarterly ones. So you're always making progress. And with our annual subscription, we can automatically deliver a new planner to your doorstep every 90 days. So you never experience a break from your goal achievement. To get your copy of the Full Focus Planner, head to fullfocusplanner.com today. Step two in creating the outcome you want is to reverse engineer the process. Remember, whatever result you're currently getting is likely the result of a process. If it's not working, find out why and work backwards toward a solution. All right, so let's move on to step number three. Yeah, we probably stole a little bit of our thunder when we were talking about the last one. <laughs> step three is to optimize it to perfection. And here's where the design process falls apart. And that is the designer yeah. of the process quits too early. Right. So like you were saying earlier, when the process is complete or you think it's complete, it's still not done. You know where we see this actually a lot is in rituals, daily rituals that people have, ah. right? So we encourage people to create a morning ritual, an evening ritual, a workday startup ritual, and a workday shutdown ritual. In fact, we talk about that in more detail in episode 33, if you're interested. Um, but where people often get hung up is they create those rituals, right? They're like, they're, you know, sitting at their desk and they dream up these great rituals. And then it's the next day and they're all gung ho to go implement them. And guess what? Wah, wah. They don't work quite like they thought, right? It takes longer to get the kids ready for school than you thought. Or, you know, your workout routine that you thought only took 30 minutes, you forgot to include the drive time. Or, uh, you know, you, you forgot to include getting breakfast. And so you keep skipping breakfast. Something about it is right. not going to work no matter how well you think you have it until you really put it to the test. Um, and if you give up at that point, you say, well, the, this whole ritual thing just doesn't work for me. When in reality, you just didn't iterate yet. Well, I love this quote. If you quit on the process, you're quitting on the result. Yeah. And so like with rituals, I'd be curious to know, how often do you revise yours? 
Well, I actually just did it this morning. So really? yeah, I did. So this morning, my kids had their first day of school. And I realized that the ritual that I have been using all summer was based on the summer morning, ritual. the summer morning ritual. So the last time I revised it was when we went into the summer. And that's different, right? Because we're not rushing to get out the door. I don't have to pack lunches in the summer, those kinds of things. And so I realized this morning, man, we are just barely making it out the door. This is really stressful. And I thought, I have a process problem. Yes. I have not accounted for how much time it's actually going to take to get us all ready and out the door for school and work. So I revised it. Well, I'm about to revise mine as well because I've got a whole new strength training regimen that I'm about to, to use. Mm. And it's going to take less time than what I was doing previously. And part of that's because I'm going to be able to do it at home. Right. So it requires a revision in my morning ritual. Sure. So yeah. So just the point is, don't worry if you have to change it. That's the sign of progress. Sure. And by the way, this is why we teach in another context, again, in our in our coaching program, the after action review. Yeah. Because that's a way to be reflective on something you've just done and ask yourself the question, what can we improve to make it better so that next time we get a better result? So again, you got to test the process. You got to document it carefully so others can understand. This is a missing ingredient too, isn't it? This whole documentation part. It totally is. Because if you don't document it, if you just say, you know, that we'd like to do these three things, again, you're probably leaving out steps that are going to produce an inconsistent or undesirable result. And people forget. People forget. Or they distort it or you whatever. Really, we're really talking about a checklist. Yes. You know, you, it should be distilled down to a checklist. Okay. So when we, I was on my recent sabbatical, uh, we flew into the wild parts of Canada that we could only get to uh, in a very small airplane, first of all, that was one of those... Um, seaplanes? Seaplanes. It's a little terrifying to me, I'm going to be honest. No, it was great. Really? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, think about it this way. Would you rather slam into the water or slam into concrete? Yeah, well, Feels a lot water. safer, right? <laughs> so the other thing was... Except for the drowning part, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so then the second part of it was that we got on a helicopter. So I was seated right behind the pilot in the helicopter, and he went through a process that took him literally five minutes where he had a visible checklist on a clipboard, and he was going through every single thing. Amazing. That just gives you a lot of comfort. It gives you a lot of comfort because it's <laughs> going to produce a predictable result. We're going to land safely. We're going to be alive. I like that result. So that reminds me of that great book called The Checklist Manifesto written by Atul Gawande, who's a surgeon and public health researcher. And in it, he talks about the power of processes and checklists in surgical rooms. So for example, you know, people were dying just in very large numbers from sponges being left in their bodies. I hate that. <laughs> at surgery. I mean, it's a horrible thing to contemplate. Um, and what he found was that if they instituted a process whereby they scanned barcodes on the sponges, they could make sure that they were not left inside the patients. So everything I mean, had to be scanned in Everything and out. had to be scanned in and scanned out, and that was that's their cool. process. And what they found was that the death rate was dramatically reduced. And that's a, a great and extreme example of where a process can really help you. But again, I think the point is that we want to document. Yes. And in this case, the documentation was you got to scan all these things in and out. Right. And so that's, in, in effect, creating a checklist. Yeah. So the documentation is is key. Yes. Third, you've got to communicate the process to anyone who needs to take part. Right. Okay. And then fourth, you got to continually evaluate the process according to the results. Right. Like, did the death rate go down? Right. And if it didn't, then try something else. Yes. We've got an article in this issue of the Michael Hyatt magazine. It's called How to Conduct an After Action Review. It's written by Mike Harris. And you can check it out at michaelhyatt.com. It's up today and it'll give you the detail of what we do in that after action review process. 
Okay, so that's great. Let's talk about some of the tools that can help you with the documentation process. Okay, and by the way, I want to re- refer to the E-Myth again too because he talks about some of these tools. Okay. Like templates. Yeah. That was one of the, the first times that I got an idea for this, I, for this thing I, I now call template thinking, but it was the idea of if you start with a template... Again, it's much easier to produce the result. Like well, it is when, a process, right? A template is a process. Well, it's kind of part of the process. Like, think of this. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you want to make circus waffles. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody that does this? I do. Yes. My mom. <laughs> <laughs> My kids love it. So she uses a template to do that. Right. She doesn't just, you know, make up the, the, the waffle stuff and then decide she's going to be an artist. No, right. she has a template. It's a waffle iron. So it, it produces a predictable result every, every time. So a template's great. So we have templates. We do. That, that we use in our company for all, all kinds of things. So whether it's the project vision caster or the after action review or any number of things, even a meeting template. So that reminds me, in our book, No Fail Meetings, we have a template for a meeting agenda. And that actually is a process within a template. Because if you will use all the little blocks in our agenda template, then you will have the makings of a great and productive meeting. So, I mean, it's really like paint by numbers. Totally. I used it last night for an executive committee of a board that I serve on and I was leading the meeting and it just, we went through the meeting. It was flawless. We covered everything and it just helped produce that, again, that predictable result. Okay. Another one, workflows. You really like workflows a lot. I love workflows. (laughs) It's challenging to document. It is. But I don't even know if you know this story, but like 20 years ago, I was frustrated because I had executive assistants that all came in with how they wanted to do things. And so after a few years, I get a new executive assistant. I kept promoting the ones I had. And then I had to start all over. Mm-hmm. So I said, no, I'm going to document everything from managing my email yes. to setting up my meetings to greeting visitors when they come into my space. Yep. And I documented all that. It's still on my hard drive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like about a you know 200-page manual that goes through the steps for every single process. So from there on out, everybody did it the same way. Now, we, yeah. we tweaked it. Right. But at least we had it documented and we were all part of the process for making it better. One thing to say, though, about this, and you kind of alluded to it, it takes longer on the front end. So when you decide that you're going to create a template, that that's a little bit less time or definitely a workflow, you have to think of it like you're making an investment that will pay off later. Okay. Two questions to ask on that front. Number one, is this a process that I want to use again? Mm -hmm. And if so, create a template so that you start without having to recreate the the wheel. Right. Secondly, is this a process I want to delegate to somebody else? Yeah. Then you got to have a workflow. You do. That's okay, true. so templates and workflows, both key. Absolutely. And then, of course, we already talked about the after-action review. So templates, workflows, after-action reviews, those are kind of the elements of designing processes that produce And, and again, the after-action review, the thing that's going to do for you is put you in a process. It's a, like a meta-process. You know, that it enables you to get better at what you're doing so that it's constantly improving and going to the next level. Right. So, for example, if you had an executive assistant who, you know, left for one reason or the other and you weren't happy with the results that you'd gotten, that would help you to understand why and what you needed to change going forward. Totally. Okay. So today we've learned that you can create the outcome you want by following three steps. Define the outcome, reverse engineer the process, and optimize it to perfection. Before we go, I just want to remind you that your current results are the result of your current process. If those results aren't what you want, you have the power to design your own success. Dad, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, I do. I think it's very easy when you're not getting a result to blame something external to yourself. Oh, so true. And I think one of the most important questions you can ask is, what is it about my leadership? What is it about the way that that I'm doing this that's producing this result? Mm -hmm. 
And so then it puts it back on you where you say, hey, am I smart enough to produce a different result by re-engineering the process? <laughs> yeah. To me, that that employs my creativity and gets me excited about solving the problem instead of just being frustrated and pointing the finger at somebody else. I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, get the show notes in a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you're benefiting from this podcast, tell your friends and colleagues about it. The easiest way to do that is to leave a review. Go to lead2.win and follow the simple steps. Thanks. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyde and Company. All rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Jill Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistant is Natalie Fockel. Our intern is Winston. Stay tuned this week for a special bonus episode where we'll share the learning from our recent sabbaticals. Then join us again next week when we'll learn how to identify and avoid a huge productivity killer, fake work. Until then, lead to win. <laughs>